0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. If you are an ASHP member, you will also have an opportunity to earn continuing education for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast for more information. Our topic for today's podcast is deprescribing of opioid therapy. Overprescribing of opioids has led to the development of the CDC guidelines for chronic pain, which recommends opioid taper in patients when the risk outweighs the benefit. My name is Gretchen Lindsay. Today, I'll be chatting with Maria Foy and Jenny Kale about reasons for when an opioid reduction should be considered and who would be appropriate for a taper. Maria is the pharmacy care coordinator and palliative care pharmacist at Abington Jefferson Health in Abington, Pennsylvania. Jenny is an emergency medicine clinical specialist at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us today. So let's get started. My first question to you, and I think where this all starts, is identifying patients who might benefit from opioid de-escalation. Jenny, if you would start us off, how do you identify appropriate patients?
1: Sure, of course. Thanks, Gretchen, for having us on. And I agree, this is likely kind of the initial step in most of the cases is identifying the most appropriate patients. And those are really who are not benefiting from their opioid therapy. And it's really ineffectively treating their pain or it's really not improving their function. Patients experiencing adverse reactions may also need opioid therapy reduced. Many chronic Non-cancer pain conditions, such as fibromyalgia and migraines, really may not benefit from opioid therapy, and the pain system often does become sensitized, and opioid therapy can often be ineffective or actually make the pain worse. In addition, patients who have had their cancer cured should consider also having their opioid therapy tapered. Pain will often improve with curative surgery or chemotherapy treatment. So in these patients who have had the chemo or the operative management, tapering should be considered. In some patients, chronic pain may result the chemotherapy or radiation treatments. However, this type of pain is often neuropathic in nature and doesn't respond very well to opioids. Additionally, opioids do come with side effects, as we know, and so patients who are unable to tolerate opioid therapy due to these adverse reactions may also personally choose to forego the therapy. Additionally, opioids may be tapered on patients when therapy carries unacceptable risks. So these are really patients that should be assessed for opioid use disorder or substance use disorder, especially if there are apparent behaviors present. In these patients, medications used for opioid use disorders such as buprenorphine or methadone, these may be considered to treat comorbid pain if it is also present. Doses of the medications for opioid use disorder are usually given once a day in the higher doses, and so one strategy would be to divide the doses three to four times a day to provide the analgesia and also control the cravings because we know the analgesic effects of buprenorphine and methadone only last the six to eight hours. And so in patients with comorbid opioid use disorder and pain, the higher dose Suboxone or Subutex formulation may be needed. However, lower dose formulations of buprenorphine are available for pain control in patients without comorbid opioid use disorder. And methadone used for pain without opioid use disorder is also usually dosed uh, lower and divided multiple times a day. Thanks, Jenny, for that information. There's other patients also. um, So say some
2: patients that are on really high doses of opioid therapy, especially if they're on other medications that can increase the risk of opioid-related harm, also may require a taper. In these patients, sometimes when you start to lower their dose, their pain control will actually improve. As high-dose therapy may be associated with a phenomenon called opioid-induced hyperalgesia. That's actually a situation where the opioids themselves are causing pain. We used to think that opioids had no dose ceiling, and that high doses of opioids can be effective, but in some patients, high doses of opioid can actually cause pain. In these patients, sometimes you can also use methadone or buprenorphine and transition patients to that therapy. Because in a sensitized pain patient, the pain system is overfiring and methadone and buprenorphine can often wind back down the pain system. There's also patients, I call them my chemical copers. They have psychological comorbidities of anxiety, depression, and they actually lack the ability to cope with their pain. And they're fearful of their pain. They often use their opioids to feel better from their depression and anxiety, and that's inappropriate. You shouldn't be using opioids to treat anxiety and depression, they're used for pain. So, these patients should maybe be requiring a taper, especially if opioids are not increasing their ability to function. You really should be looking at opioid therapy and looking at functional improvement, not just a number. Opioids are appropriate in patients if they continue to increase their functional improvement versus just making them feel better from their anxiety and depression.
0: Thanks to you both. My next question then is. Why is opioid de-escalation important, and do all patients need a taper when discontinuing their opioids?
1: Sure. So opioid tapering is important for several reasons. Um, The first and likely most obvious is to avoid opioid withdrawal um, that might occur with too rapid of a taper or simply discontinuing the medication. And this is particularly important for those that have been on opioids for a longer duration. And then the second is really to give the patient time to adjust to their new medication doses, both physically and psychologically. So this really is a situation that should be a shared decision-making between the provider and the patient. However, as expected, not all patients do require opioid tapers, and it really is dependent on the dose duration and these personal factors. Great. Um, then what should pr- practitioners be
0: thinking about before considering an opioid taper in a patient?
1: Sure. So patients who do not improve on opioid therapy or are showing signs of misuse or intolerance to the opioid treatment, they should consider a taper in their opioid therapy. Unless there is imminent risk of harm from the opioid, really taking the time to develop trust and rapport with the patient will increase the success of the taper, again, through this shared decision making conversation. And then optimizing treatment for comorbid anxiety and depression, as Maria talked about, and utilizing multimodal analgesic treatments is also recommended. We know that targeting different pain pathways decreases the dosages of medications and also helps with more consistent pain control throughout the day. And patients with severe opioid use disorder are at risk of harm and should be transitioned potentially to a medically supervised detoxification if this is considered the best management for the patient. Thanks, Jenny. Um, So Jenny just spoke about patients needing
0: opioid tapering and what we need to think about when doing so. A question for Maria. Is there one formula for opioid tapering that we should all use? No,
2: it really depends on the patient and patient-specific factors. There's different ways to do this, but really the one important thing to keep in mind is how long have they been on opioid therapy? If patients, say post-op patients, only been on opioids for a few days, you may be able to do a very quick taper on those patients. Also, you may want to do a fast taper if you have a high-risk patient that may be misusing these opioids or may be harming themselves from opioids. Patients that have been on opioids for a very long period of time will require a slower taper. There's really no one size fits all appropriate tapers. We really should be working very closely with our patients on what we want to do for them. And as Jenny has mentioned, it is very important to have shared decision-making with our patients, because we want to be able to work with them in order to do a taper appropriately for them and doing an inappropriate taper or not having their buy-in may risk harms. They looked at a study at UC Davis. They found in a study that was conducted at UC Davis that patients that were on long-term opioid therapy and underwent a 15% reduction over 60 days had a 68% increase in overdose risk, and twice the number of mental health crises compared to patients who stayed on their normal dose of medications. Many patients develop a psychological opioid dependence, and when tapering prescribed opioids, they may begin to use other substances to alleviate their symptoms. These cases, We may want to look at this taper, maybe slow the taper down. And really important to build that therapeutic alliance with the patient. And that's maybe the best way to do that, to slow the taper, work with the patient, and have frequent follow-ups with that patient to show that you're involved and you're concerned and working with that patient together as a team versus just me telling the patient what to do.
0: Great. With that information in mind, could either of you give us an example of a fast and slow taper?
1: Sure. So if you look at several of the guidelines, they'll talk about a slow taper, a rapid taper, and kind of in between a fast taper. So when we talk about a slow taper, this usually occurs over months with a reduction of about 5 to 15% every four weeks. Kind of the next fastest would be, quote unquote, a fast taper. And this would take weeks with a reduction of about 10 to 20% every week. And then the rapid taper is the fastest, and this occurs over days with a reduction of about 20 to 50% initially, followed by 10 to 20% daily after that. And the CDC guideline does have a recommended gradual dose reduction when tapering of approximately 10% per week or slower for patients with long term use with a 10% reduction per month. Now, I know Maria has a lot of experience tapering opioids. So I'm wondering, Maria, do you have an interesting kind of patient case? I do. I have a patient that I had been working with. He came onto,
2: into the hospital actually from uh, opioid detox. But like he was a pain patient. He was a, um, a cop, actually, in New Jersey. He was a policeman. And he had chronic low back pain. Maintained for 10 years on a fentanyl 75 microgram. Well, he retired and he wanted to get off his opioids and he thought he could just go to a detox facility and that would be fine. And they'll just detox him off his opioids and he would be great to go. Uh, It didn't work out so well for him. They took off his fentanyl patch and they tried to give him medications that would prevent withdrawal. But the problem with him was he was in pain. He had significant pain where he required him to come and become admitted to my hospital. So I worked with him and try to you know try to get him to understand that his problem was more of a pain management problem, not an opioid use disorder problem and we needed to table him slowly because he's been on a fentanyl patch for 10 years. There's different ways we could have did this. Um, I could have converted him to a long-acting morphine product and taken him down that way. but I worked with an outpatient provider after he was discharged where we decided to go down on his fentanyl patches by about 12 micrograms of patch per month and to do a slow taper that way in order for him to be able to tolerate the taper, not be put into a withdrawal, not have his pain escalate to um, a significant point, and utilize different therapies if his pain did return, maybe a more appropriate opioid for him, and try to get him off it. So he did successfully get off his fentanyl patches um, after discharge, and but that is just an example of how you can't just pull off a patch on someone who's been on therapy for 10 years and expect that that pain to not be there for that patient not to go through withdrawal. So that's just kind of an
0: example of what this patient had gone through. Thanks, Maria. Extremely interesting case. But based on the concepts you just spoke about, could you provide further explanation on how you would initiate a taper in a patient on both, both long-acting and short-acting opioid therapy? Sure. So that's one of the strategies that I was mentioning is maybe
2: converting over to a long acting opioid. And then, someone that is on long acting and short acting opioids, one strategy could be to convert everything into the long acting opioid and decreasing the therapy that way. Now, another strategy also is to convert to a long acting opioid, but maybe a different opioid. So, when we convert from one opioid to another, we usually will decrease for something called incomplete cross tolerance. So our patients that are on high doses of opioids may be tolerant to that opioid. If they're on morphine, maybe they're tolerant to morphine. If I switch them to say a fentanyl patch or oxycontin, long acting oxycodone, I decrease because they're not tolerant to that drug I'm converting to. So not only will I be able to decrease as part of the taper, I can also decrease because I'm going to be using a different opioid and I may be able to do it a quicker or a, Higher initial taper. So usually converting to long acting opioids is preferred, especially early in the taper. When I mention opioid-induced hyperalgesia, in high doses of opioids, sometimes they're actually contributing to the pain. So as we're decreasing the high doses of opioids down to say about 100 milligrams of morphine, patients may actually have experienced better pain control. Now, once they get to that lower dose, we may need to slow the taper, and we may consider adding some short-acting opioids. The thing to remember when you add those short-acting opioids is the patient shouldn't be using more short-acting opioids than their total daily dose during the taper. So you may need to limit how many short-acting opioids that you give that patient. So limiting these patients with their short-acting opioids, monitoring them, especially throughout that taper. And as they get lower in these doses where they may need more support is really important. And at some point, your long-acting medications, you may not be able to use them because there may not be doses available. And then we can work with those short-acting opioids until we're able to get the patient down to a functional dose or off those opioids.
0: Thank you, Maria. Jenny, in your experience, are there any special considerations that practitioners need to think about when initiating tapering in a patient?
1: Sure, there's a couple of kind of unique scenarios that one we touched a bit about earlier and that's in patients who require a quick taper due to either misuse or opioid use disorder concerns. And so again, it, it might be helpful to rotate to medications used for opioid use disorders such as buprenorphine or methadone or again, potentially transferring to a detoxification facility for rapid detox, which might be indicated. But with rapid tapers, having medications available to help treat the symptoms of withdrawal, such as anti-nausea medications, medications for vomiting, anxiety, for example, these might help um, with that more rapid taper and transitioning the patient off of opioid therapy. The second kind of unique scenario is with fentanyl patches. Patients on fentanyl patches can have therapy, again, rotated to another long-acting opioid prior to the taper. However, determining the appropriate equivalent to the fentanyl patch might be difficult as the conversion information from morphine equivalent dose to the fentanyl package insert is not bidirectional. And so in addition to that, absorption is also different with the fentanyl patch um, because it is dependent on body fat and therefore it may vary between the individuals, especially if you are using it in a cachectic patient. Fentanyl might be de-escalated. We typically recommend by about 12 micrograms weekly to monthly, depending on the amount of time that the patient has been on the fentanyl therapy. But you do want to keep in mind that if you are converting fentanyl to an alternative opioid, that the onset and offset time of the fentanyl is approximately 12 hours. Thanks, Jenny.
0: Maria, if you don't mind sharing your experience with this next question, I know patients may be worried about opioid withdrawal while tapering. How do we address this with our patients?
2: Again, talking to our patients with that shared decision-making, because we have to keep in mind that these patients' withdrawal is not very comfortable. And if they've gone through withdrawal before, they may not be willing to go through withdrawal again. But we need to walk them through this, telling them that we will manage their symptoms of withdrawal. And withdrawal is not life-threatening. And we may see some of these signs with a withdrawal, even with gradual tapers. Sometimes we may be able to slow that taper to minimize withdrawal. Or again, we can treat some of those withdrawal symptoms with medications, as Jenny has mentioned. So we utilize both pharmacologic, non-pharmacologic treatments to manage withdrawal and manage that opioid taper. We want to work with our patients. We want to look at their goals and concerns and really try to have that bond with that patient. Really important to establish that. We want to be explained that behavioral and non opioid therapies will be initiated prior to our tapers to help with pain control, help them be able to tolerate the process. And we want to make sure that we also try to treat our underlying comorbidities that may put a wrench in the taper. So, looking at antidepressants and anxiety medications while even before or while they're going through this taper. Also, we want to institute some harm reduction measures, prescribing smaller amounts of opioids, monitoring these patients more frequently, and co-prescribing naloxone in patients at risk. We don't want patients to go to the streets to treat their symptoms or treat their withdrawal symptoms or their pain. So we really, these patients, we have to worry about them. So many of these patients got on these high doses of opioids because of their inability to cope with their pain. So I think that teaching patients about their pain is now a new strategy in the literature, and it can be very effective in some of these patients that have this comorbid anxiety and depression. There's something called neuroscience education. There's guidelines out there on how to do it, and how to teach their patients about their pain system, not just teaching them about their disease, but teaching them what's going on in their body when their pain system has become hypersensitized. And by giving them that understanding and their understanding more about their body, they become much less fearful of their pain, And it can really allow them to be able to cope with it and tolerate their pain a lot better.
0: Thanks, Maria. That's wonderful information for us to consider. Jenny, previously you briefly spoke about adverse effects and managing patients. Can you share with us what your experience has been on what treatments can be used to manage withdrawal
1: symptoms if they do occur? Sure. So we can really target these therapies to what sort of symptoms our patients are experiencing to really help them increase tolerability of the taper. So clonidine um, can be used to help manage those autonomic symptoms that are associated with withdrawals such as hypertension, tachycardia. Again, likely your patient still has pain. And so using that multimodal non-opioid analgesia, such as using acetaminophen, anti-inflammatory agents, hopefully scheduling those around the clock, adding gabapentinoids if you're treating more of that neuropathic pain. Antidiaryls, anti-nausea agents can also be added and are largely effective. But the most important thing to keep in mind is to not use benzodiazepines or pure mu opioids to help manage the withdrawal symptoms. Instead, anxiety and agitation can be treated with antihistamines such as hydroxyzine or diphenhydramine. If someone does require a rapid taper of opioids, medications for opioid use disorder, again, can be instituted to help prevent or help alleviate the withdrawal symptoms as well. Thanks,
0: Jenny. We spoke a lot about all the benefits of tapering a patient's opioid therapy, but are there any risks associated with risks associated with tapering opioids that we need to be aware of? Maria, could you share any experience that you have?
2: Sure. So we really do know that long-term opioid therapy may be associated with opioid-related risks, right? We've seen opioid overdose deaths, especially when they're used in combination of higher risk medications like sedative or benzodiazepine. However, we've also seen opioid related harms, such as increase in mental health issues and suicides resulting from inappropriate tapering. These also have been reported. JAMA recently put out an article conducted by Agnoli and colleagues where they looked at the effects of opioid tapering on over 100,000 patients that were receiving long-term stable opioid therapy. This rapid tapering in this study was associated with an increased incidence of overdose and mental health crisis concerns compared to patients that didn't undergo an opioid taper. We know that opioid tapering can lead to decreased pain. It can improve function in a portion of the chronic pain population. However, high-risk patients on long-term opioid therapy often have a taper accelerated due to these risks, which may be associated with harm. So again, getting that patient buy-in, performing the taper and trying to do it slowly enough to prevent some of that withdrawal and making sure that the patients aren't going to go out to the streets to try to supplement what you're taking away. Because these high risk patients are often the population that require a slower taper in order to avoid the harms from the taper.
0: Thanks, Maria. And finally, for either of you, which patient populations might be associated with risk of harm from an inappropriate taper?
1: Sure. So I think this is an incredibly important point to keep in mind when you are having those shared decision-making conversations with your patient. So patients with physical and psychological comorbidities may be at risk of harms from a rapid opioid taper. In physically dependent patients, return of pain or withdrawal symptoms and suicide ideations can be seen. And so you really do need to build those trusting relationships with your patient and so that they will be vocal if they are having these ideations or thoughts during their taper. Um, And patients may not be able to cope with the pain and the withdrawal symptoms that come along with the taper. And this could lead them to obtaining opioids illegally to treat these symptoms. And so you do want to ensure that the patient is being open and honest and that you are being responsive to how they're feeling during their opioid taper i agree with jenny
2: i think it's so important to have that therapeutic alliance with your patient and work with them on providing the best taper and the best therapy for them otherwise they end up going to the streets and despite the fact that we're seeing decreased opioid prescribing we're seeing opioid related deaths increase so very important to work with our patients and do an appropriate taper with them
0: thank you Um, well that comes to the end of our discussion today i Really would like to thank Dr. Foy and Dr. Kale for a great topic and discussion on opioid de-escalation. For our ASHP members, you can find additional resources and earn free continuing education by visiting elearning.ashp.org podcast and using the CE code 22045A. Again, that's 22045 and the letter A. Please note that credit for this podcast expires two years after the date this podcast is published. Thank you for listening, stay safe, and have a nice day. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and wanna hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.